0: All right, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 19. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be in this passage from verse 16 to 26 this morning our passage in god's word it's a pretty familiar passage about the rich young ruler and so let's take some time to pray and ask the lord to help us to help us to meditate on this scripture let's pray father thank you again for your word and for allowing us to come together to consider it together study it together lord meditate on it this morning and God I pray that you'd help us to do that God I pray that you that as we read your word in just a moment God that you would feed us feed us God with familiar things from your word and as we meditate in it and, and take verse after verse and slow down God I pray that you would feed us Lord you said that we don't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from your mouth Lord and we believe that Your word is our food. How sweet are your words to our taste. Sweeter than honey to our lips. God, I pray you would make your word sweet to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's read verse 16 through 26. And then we'll just take our time going verse by verse, trying to understand the plain sense of what's here. Verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him. All these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him. If you would be perfect. Go and sell what you possess. And give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When the young man heard this. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Back here to verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This is, uh, behold, a man. Here's this man. Who is this man? Uh, The scripture tells us this is uh, what we often call the rich young ruler. And that's coming from the Gospels. We know in our text that he's rich, and we know that he's young. And we know from the Gospel of Luke that he was a ruler. So he had wealth, he still had his youth, and he had power. And yet he's still unsatisfied. And I believe there's probably a lesson to learn from that. He has all that, and yet he's still unsatisfied. And he asked Jesus a question. And just by listening to the question, we can kind of smell that something's off here. Something's wrong. Think about this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He thinks he can do some good deed to merit eternal life. Does he not realize how wretched of a sinner he is? Does he not realize he's speaking to the one that's going to purchase salvation for sinners? I, I don't think he realizes that. He thinks he can do some good deed to earn his salvation. So we're smelling something's wrong here. And we can also see something's wrong in this question because he calls him teacher, He just calls him teacher. Now, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, his disciples don't call him teacher, Lord, Master, etc. But only non-disciples call him teacher. So he's not coming to Jesus as Savior, as Lord Jesus. I'm coming to you. You're my only hope for eternal life. That's not how he's coming to Christ here. He's coming to Jesus as a notable teacher. It's a good thing, but it's not full. you Maybe this notable teacher, maybe he can just give me the information that I need so that I can go do what I need to do to gain eternal life. He doesn't realize that his only hope for salvation is to remove all dependency on himself and put his hope in the one that he's talking to. Instead, he just wants to talk to the teacher. Just give me the information that I need. And that's a really popular thing today. Salvation by information. Salvation, but I, just, I just didn't know something. And you'll hear testimonies like this, but they're not Christian testimonies. I just didn't know something, and then I got taught, and now I know something. And that's my salvation. And, and surely you need to know something about the gospel to be saved. But the Christian testimony is I was a rebel against God. Christ was crucified for me. And I turned away from sin and put my hope in Christ, and he changed everything. Not just I had some information missing, and now... I understand but that's how he's coming to him teacher teacher what must i do what must i do what good deed can i do to have eternal life now verse 17 jesus responds with a question and then a statement so look how jesus responds in verse 17 and he said to him here's the question why do you ask me about what is good there's only one who is good if you would enter life keep the commandments so jesus responds to this man's question by essentially dealing with his definition of good Do you see that here why do you ask me about what is good only one's good if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. So he's, he's dealing with this man's understanding of what is good. It's obvious that this man does not have a good grasp on, on a, a proper goodness standard. Uh, think about his question. What, must I, what good deed can I do to have eternal life? Man, you don't understand good if you're asking a question like that. You don't understand this word good. And so Jesus points him to the right standards of goodness. And he points them to God. Only one is good. So he points them to God that he is the ultimate standard of what is good. We can't look among ourselves. You know, Second Corinthians ten twelve says when we measure ourselves by ourselves, we're not wise. You can't figure out the goodness standard by looking at each other. I'm better than that person, must be good. You can't do that. You have to look to God, the ultimate standard of goodness. And the second thing he mentions is his law, his word, his commandments. So Jesus points him to God and his law as the ultimate standard of goodness. You want to know what good is? Look at God and look at his word. Look at his law. Look at that perfect standard of goodness. He says that here, keep the commandments. Now think about with that standard of good in place. Now think about this man's question. What, what good thing, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? What good thing can I do? How can I be good enough? How can I be good enough to have eternal life? And the answer is you can't. Don't you understand the standard God is the goodness standard. His law is the goodness standard. You can't be good enough. So in an attempt to deal with his low standard of good, Jesus says this. and It's right here in verse 17. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And that's true you obey God perfectly and keep his commandments and just live a life of no sin you can enter into life what's the problem you can't do that and that's the language coming a little bit later in verse 25 and 26 impossible impossible born with a sinful nature born separated from God you can't do it because of your sinful nature you can't you can't meet up to this standard of goodness So verse 18, how's the rich man going to respond? Look at verse 18. He says, which ones? Dude ain't getting it. Which ones? Think about that. Only God is good. You want eternal life? Keep his standard of goodness. Keep his law. Dude says, okay, which ones? Sure. Man, he didn't get it. He's not understanding it. And so, keep going in verse 18. Jesus is going to mention six commandments. Almost all of them are from the Ten Commandments except for one, which is that summary commandment in Leviticus 19, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. So look at it right here. Continuing on in verse 18. Jesus said, here they are, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, You shall not bear false witness. All this is pointing to the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. Ten Commandments. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The second greatest commandment in Leviticus 19. Now, so Jesus presents him with these commandments. And I want you to try to remember something for just a minute. Do you remember our time in Matthew 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount? Do you remember what Jesus was dealing with? what kind of mindset Jesus was dealing with in the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, he was dealing with a a certain kind of mindset towards God's law. A bad mindset towards God's law or God's standard. He was dealing with people that had relaxed the standard. They, They had relaxed the commandments by externalizing the commandments. In other words, they made the commandments... Attainable by human flesh. Hey, it just says, Don't murder. I ain't kill nobody. I must be a keeper of those commandments. I ain't kill nobody. They just externalized the commandments so that sinful flesh like us could look at the law. And this, actually, this is actually the mindset that, that was happening that, that men would hear the law of God read, walk away, and say, I'm doing pretty good. That's how much they had relaxed and externalized. The law of God, the commandments of God, which is a mindset that's not unlike this rich young ruler. He gets God's commandments put before him, and he can walk away and say, yeah, I'm doing pretty good on those. He had to relax those. Now, in the summer on the mount, how did Jesus help clear up this mindset? He began to give them a right interpretation of the law. You remember that? He gave them a right interpretation of the law. Think about remember Jesus' words. Did you know that hatred in your heart is actually murder? Did you know being angry at somebody, this is Jesus' words, some of out to be angry at somebody without cause is to be murderous in your heart? So everybody in the room and this rich young ruler actually can't say, well, I had not killed nobody because the law is not just this external thing that when you when you're angry at somebody, when you ought not to be, you've murdered them in your heart. You're guilty of breaking that command. Jesus goes on to say, do you not know that lust in your heart is adulterous? They're having lust towards another. That's an inside thing. Maybe nobody even knows about it, but it's adultery. Every time you've walked in that. And so he's he's helping them understand the right interpretation of God's law. Now I want you to think about this. What if if the rich young ruler had been there to hear the Sermon on the Mount and he accepted that teaching? Yes, he believed what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. How would he have responded to these commands being put in front of him? So, So Jesus says, keep the commandments to him. You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, honor your parents, and love your neighbor as yourself. If he would have been there for the summer on the mount and believed it, how would he respond to that list of commandments? He said, oh no, Lord. Oh no, Lord. This is impossible. I have never met up to this goodness standard, and I can never meet up to this goodness standard. In in fact, I'm an adulterous murderer. I've told lies, bore false witness. I've dishonored my parents. I haven't loved my neighbor as myself as I ought to. And I don't have the power in me to change it. This would have been a desperate. Jesus would have laid out these commands. And that's the desperate response if he believed the Sermon on the Mount. But he was a lot like those that Jesus was dealing with. He had externalized these commands. He thinks he can keep them. In fact, you see that in verse 20. So look at this. Look at the response to those commands being laid out. Verse 20. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Man, what an arrogant and blind response to Jesus. What an arrogant and blind response. To the law of God. Everybody in this room who've had their eyes open to God's goodness standards and your own sin. And the salvation found only in Christ. You know, you hear that response and you think, man, that is arrogant. He, he just heard the law of God and walked away and thought, all those things I've kept. The other gospel say, all those things I've kept from my youth. I've been obedient to those things. Now, we know this is an arrogant response, but be careful not to disconnect yourself too much because every one of us in the room have done the same thing, right? You've thought yourself to be a whole lot better than you are. I was thinking about this. I was saved in my early 20s, and I can think back to times before I was saved where I would say, I know I'm not living right now, but one day I'm going to straighten my life up, and I'm going to be a good person to get heaven. Oh, how arrogant. Path to heaven without Jesus. How arrogant. Now, in verse 21, we see Jesus' response back. And Jesus could have just looked at him and said, No, you haven't. (laughs) You know, this guy guy says, All these commandments I've kept. And Jesus could have said, No, you hadn't. But instead, he gives him another commandment that's going to expose his sin. And actually, it's interesting. It's almost as if this guy's saying, I've kept all those commandments, and it's like Jesus is going to go back to the first commandments. Okay, let's start with number one. You can't have any other gods before me. And he's going to expose this man as having a false god, an idol that he puts in front of the one true God. Now, this response, verse 21, it has two parts. Let's look at it. Verse 21 says, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, number one, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And number two, and come follow me. So two-part command that he gives him here. Number one, go get rid of your money and your possessions. Give it to the poor. You have treasure in heaven. Number two, come and follow me. Now this second part, come and follow me, this is, this is the way Jesus all throughout this gospel has been calling men to salvation. You know, Matthew and, and Peter and James and John, he'll say, follow me. This is the way he calls them to salvation. Come be my disciple. Come and follow me. Repentance and faith are wrapped up in this, right? To turn away from, turn away, repent, turn away from whatever keeps you from Jesus and follow Jesus. Put your trust in him. It's repentance and faith is wrapped up in this command to follow me. Turn away from whatever's keeping you from Christ. That's repentance. You must have it to be saved. And come to Jesus. Follow me. Put your faith in Christ. You must have faith to be saved. Now, question. What's keeping this rich young ruler from following Jesus? What's keeping this rich young ruler from following Jesus in faith? And Jesus Jesus exposes it in the first part In the first part of this, this uh, answer, get rid of your money, get rid of your possessions. I want you to go sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. So what is the thing that keeps him from coming to Christ? His possessions, his stuff. Now, you see that in verse 22, right? Because look at look at this. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. The other gospel says, for he was exceedingly rich. So think about that. Jesus says, go, sell all, your, all you possess, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But this man is unwilling to part with his stuff. What's his God? What is his idol? He's unwilling to part with his stuff. Now, the the idea here is not give to the poor as a way to earn your salvation. That's not the picture here. The, The picture here is this man is choosing money and possessions over Jesus. Jesus is exposing his idol. He feels so good about himself. He's so good. I've kept all those commandments from my youth. Jesus says, first commandment. First commandment. Leave your God and come follow me. And he's unwilling to leave his God of money, his God of possessions, his God of riches. You remember the parable? We covered this parable a little while back in Matthew 13, verse 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man that found treasure in a field. And, and for joy over that treasure... He buries it. He goes back, sells everything that he has so he can buy that field and get that treasure. This man is the opposite of this. He's the opposite of this. Jesus, to him, is not the great treasure that's worth so much that he'll sell it all for him. But in that parable, that's what the kingdom of heaven's like. It's like a man that realizes, man, Christ is so valuable. Christ is such a treasure. I'll leave it all for him. I'll sell it all for him. Remember Matthew, we covered this a while back too, Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26. If anyone would, Jesus said, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself. He's unwilling. Take up his cross daily. Follow me. This man's unwilling. And it goes on to say, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, we know with a rich young ruler, in exchange for his soul, he'll gladly exchange his soul to keep his money. To keep his life to keep his comfortable life his riches his wealth his way it's a sad ending so the way this interaction with Jesus and the rich young ruler ends is when the young man heard this he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions this is not a cold interaction you could go read the gospel account over in the gospel of Mark and there's a little phrase in there says and Jesus loved him Jesus loved this man when he said these things to him and was calling him to himself. And what a sad ending that he walks away sorrowful, choosing his stuff, his money over Christ. It's a sad ending. Now, in verse 23, Jesus is now going to turn to his disciples and teach them a lesson. So look at it again. Verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples... So they saw that whole interaction, right? They saw what went down. And as the rich man is walking away sorrowful, choosing money over Christ, Jesus turns to his disciples. And he says, Truly I say to you. Now that's language. Remember, when he says something like that, that's listen up, I got a lesson. Truly I say to you, listen up, I have a lesson. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So, what's the lesson he teaches here? Verse 23 Do you understand? It is hard, it is difficult for a rich man to go to heaven. That's the lesson. How hard is it for a rich man to go to heaven? How difficult is it for a rich man to go to heaven? Does it mean it's difficult like, hey, rich man, just try a little bit harder? No, it's difficult as in it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible, which is the next phrase. What's the next phrase say that the little this this ridiculous visual that he gives? He says, listen, it's easier for a camel. Can you imagine a big camel? This massive animal. It's easier for a camel to go through. And he he picks the smallest little hole he can think of. Of a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It'd be easier for a camel. Imagine a massive camel to go through the eye of a needle. Than for a rich man to be saved. And, y'all, he really means a camel through the eye of a needle. There's a lot that's going out there about this, this gate in Jerusalem called the needle's eye. And a camel has to kneel down and take. That's, that's just uh, preaching fodder. It's nothing else. It's not true. He literally means a camel going through the eye of a needle, which is what? Impossible. He said it'd be easier for that to happen than for a rich man to be saved or for a rich man to enter Kingdom of heaven. Now, to hear this, especially, did Jesus just say it's it's hard for a rich man to be saved? That would have been a shocker to everybody that listened, especially the disciples. Now, how do I know that would have shocked them? Well, look at look at the way they responded. Next verse, verse 25. How do they respond? When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? So, so who can be saved then? Now, why were they so shocked? They were accustomed to thinking about material wealth as an automatic blessing from God. And here we got Jesus saying, actually, it's it's a disadvantage for entering the kingdom of God. They were accustomed to understanding rich people as especially blessed and accepted by God. And here Jesus saying it's hard. It's even impossible for a rich man to go to heaven. So again, you see, Jesus is, he's messing with the way they think. He's messing with their worldview. They're bringing in certain worldviews. They're bringing in certain ways that they think. And just like we see all through this gospel, Jesus is turning it upside down and making them think rightly, bringing their thoughts into line with his. That's that's what happens with a disciple, right? We get saved and we spend the rest of our life being sanctified in our minds thinking more and more like christ from his word and so the disciples say who then can be saved if these blessed rich people can't be saved if these blessed rich people if it's impossible for their salvation man who can be saved then who in the world can be saved can we be saved can anybody be saved and you just got to love his response right here. So beautiful. Verse 26. Last verse in our passage. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Who then can be saved? And it says Jesus looked at them. And that's a, that little phrase in the Greek there is it's more than just a random glance. He fixed his gaze upon them. He's, look, he's getting their attention with his eyes. It's like a dramatic pause for just a moment. He what? Who then can be saved? And just looks at him for a second. And then his answer is, who then can be saved? With man, this is impossible. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, this verse, the, the beauty of this statement has been robbed and hijacked in all kind of ways. You know, uh, we'll... we'll Uh, Will Mississippi State Baseball win the national championship this year? Well, with God, all things are possible. Right? And it just just robs it of its beauty. But don't miss the beauty of it in its context. Think about the desperation of these disciples. It's impossible. It's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for that man to be saved. Man, who can be saved then? With man, it's impossible. then he doesn't stop with God all things are possible salvation possible only through God beautiful passage now what I want us to do is kind of zoom back out for a minute and I want us to think about the question what does this passage teach us about salvation what does this passage teach us about salvation okay First thing I want you to notice, first thing I want you to notice is the language that's used to describe salvation throughout this text. Several little phrases throughout this text, just think about the language being used to describe salvation. In verse 16, it says eternal life. You see it right there? What must I do to have eternal life? So salvation describes as having eternal life. Jesus, you know, repeats something similar back in verse 17. If you would enter life. So two phrases, eternal life. If you would enter life. This is the way we think about salvation. And listen, every one of us are dead, dead, dead in our sin. Born dead. And if you die that way. You'll be in eternal death forever in hell. Born dead, need to be made alive, need to be given eternal life. That's not just, it is the length of life, but it's not just the length of your life. It's the quality of life. It's the life of God in the soul of man. Salvation, eternal life, interlife. Verse 21, it uses this phrase. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect... Being made perfect. And that word is complete. Being made complete. Being made perfect. A way to talk about salvation. Verse 23. Truly I say to you. Only with difficulty will a rich person. Enter the kingdom of heaven. That's another phrase. Enter the kingdom of heaven. To be saved is, is this. You get eternal life made perfect. Enter the kingdom of heaven. If you're not saved. If you don't get salvation then you'll be barred from the kingdom of heaven forever and you'll be in eternal darkness and last one verse 25 they said who then can be what saved that's the phrase eternal life enter the kingdom enter life saved I love that phrase that's not a phrase that just people made up that's in the Bible that you can be saved you can have salvation. You need to be rescued. You need to be delivered from your sin and from hell. And and you can be saved from that. It's a beautiful word. Salvation is a real thing. It deserves our utmost attention. You really, really need to understand it. And here's one reason why. Let me just think about this for a moment. This this rich young ruler came to Jesus and desired salvation. Salvation. This is a man that came to Jesus and wanted eternal life, but walked away without it. Now, you ought to hear that thing, man. I really need to understand this salvation thing. This was a guy that would have been probably a moral man that came to Jesus, wanted eternal life, desired it, and then walked away without it. He did not have salvation, although those things were true. So second thing I want you to understand about salvation. Salvation is through Christ alone and not by works. Salvation is through Christ alone and not by works. That is very, very clear from verse 25 and 26, is it not? (laughs) Who then can be saved? Can any man earn this thing? Can any man save himself? Who then can be saved? Jesus says with man, it's impossible. It's not by works. You can't earn your way in. Nobody goes to heaven and has one ounce of anything to boast in because they got themselves there. Nobody. It's not by works. This rich young ruler, he thought he could be saved by his works. He thought he could earn his salvation. It was because of his faulty standard of goodness. He thought he was good. I've kept these things from my youth. And he thought he could do some good thing to have eternal life. What good thing must I do to have eternal life? He thought he was good. But salvation is not by works. It's by grace through faith in Christ alone. Now, why is salvation by works you earning your way in? I did this little thing. Or I did this massive thing. And therefore, I'm in heaven. Why is salvation by works such a stench to God? Why does he hate it? Why is it so offensive to God? Because think about this. Think about this. This wretched people like us that deserve nothing but hell. Here we are. And you mean God Almighty sends his son as a gift to this world? He sends his son to take on human flesh, to humble himself, to be crucified on a cross, to be the sacrifice for sinners, to be humbled under a humiliating death. To take the wrath of God onto himself. Rise from the dead. Be the savior of the world. You mean he did all of that. And you're going to look past the son to your own hand. That's offensive to God. Or even looking through the son. Yeah, yeah, the son of God did this. But me too. It's offensive to God. He hates it. God hates works based on false gospels and ideas of work salvation he despises it with man it's impossible but listen with God all things are possible don't you know he sent his son to die for sinners now this is the reason that salvation has this in common for every single person who has ever been saved, you have some things in common. And here's one thing you have in common. With every single person that has ever been saved, John sixteen eight. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. What does that mean? It means the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation is to kill your mindset, your faulty mindset about goodness. A work of the Holy Spirit is to bring the conviction of sin, which obliterates this mindset that you're good. And by doing so and showing you your sin and helping you see, it helps you see what? Your need for Jesus, your need for Christ. You know, this is even a purpose of the law, the law the law that Jesus laid out. In front, of, in front of this rich young ruler, one of the purposes of the law is it is a tutor to bring us to Christ. How does it do it? Because the law, we see the law's standard, and by the Holy Spirit's help through looking at the law, we see how how far we fall how how uh, how far we fallen short of His standard. We see it. You look into the mirror of God's law and you realize how ugly your soul is. And man, you go, it's a tutor to bring you to Christ. I need Christ. I need a Savior. I, I can't. How can I be saved? It's impossible with me, it's impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible. He sent His Son. Now, the third thing I want you to see is that salvation is not just worldly sorrow. Salvation is something more than sorrow, and it's not worldly sorrow. Now, if you remember this rich young ruler, he was sorrowful, but he was not saved. Do you see that? He walked away from Jesus sorrowful because he had great possessions. So he was sorrowful in verse 22, but he was not saved. Now, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians 7.10 that says there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and there's a worldly sorrow that leads to death. And this man had the worldly sorrow that leads to death. Now I mention this because I know men who have been caught in a loop of false conversion because of mindsets like this. They, they this, certain men, they look to Jesus like the rich young ruler. They desire eternal life like the rich young ruler. But like the rich young ruler, they've got idols they are unwilling to put down, unwilling to let go of, and therefore they're on a path to hell. But some, some youth minister comes along and says, Hey, this really bothers you, doesn't it? It really makes you sad, this place you're in your life. Look, if you, if you, were, if you were lost, you wouldn't even care. You wouldn't be sad about this. And he connects his sorrow to his salvation, and it's wrong. Worldly sorrow saves nobody. Being sad about it saves nobody. It's repentance and faith in Christ that saves. Which brings us to, last thing I want to make clear here, is repentance, number four, repentance is necessary for salvation. Repentance is necessary for salvation. What was the idol in this man's heart that made him unwilling to come to Jesus? In faith. What was the Idol? It was his wealth. It was his wealth, it was his possessions, his stuff, right? Now, this, this text does not mean that every person that is going to get saved has to take a poverty vow, right? That's not the point here. We have examples in scriptures of rich disciples of Jesus. We have those examples. But what's happening here is Jesus is exposing the rich young ruler's sin that he's unwilling to repent of, his false god that he's uh, his false idol, he's unwilling to put down. And so we need to be warned about that. Now more broadly, I want us to understand this means repentance. We're getting a picture here, repentance is necessary for salvation. But I want to and there's and that looks that can look different, you know, all across the room. That can look different from different people not all the same as this rich young ruler but I do want us to feel warned for just a minute about the dangers of riches think about the dangers of riches in the life of the rich young ruler he wouldn't let it go Ecclesiastes 5.13 it says there's a severe evil I've seen under the sun riches kept for their owner to his hurt riches kept for their owner to his hurt. man we ought to feel warned about that. Did the rich young ruler not read that? Did he not feel warned by that? or think about Jesus' words. we covered this a while back in the in the, the parable of the sower the, the seed that was being so remember that and that one that went down and then it got choked out it grew up for a time and then choked out and what was one of the things that choked out that plant? the deceitfulness of riches? It's in Matthew 13. Jesus speaks about the deceitfulness of riches. We need to feel warned by this. Let me read one more verse before we move on. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, it says, But those who desire to be rich, so side note, not even just those who are rich, but those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, that's a trap. It's dangerous. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving I want money, I want money, I want more, I want my riches that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Spiritual suicide pierce themselves with many pains through the desire for riches the love for riches. So we need to feel warned by that but even but even broader than that is this idea that there are things that keep you from Christ. Maybe it's wealth, maybe it's riches, whatever it is that you need to repent of in order to be saved, to put your faith in Christ. And that's what's clear in this passage. So won't you think about that just as Jesus knew and he did if you think through that passage jesus knew the rich young ruler's heart didn't he he knew exactly what was there and just like jesus knew the rich young ruler's heart so he knows your heart and he knows it perfectly he can see the deep thoughts of your soul it's not enough to acknowledge jesus as a good teacher we see that in this passage It's not enough just to want eternal life, to desire eternal life. We see that in this passage. You must turn from your idols and follow Jesus. I want to encourage everyone here out of this passage to examine your heart. Is there anything? Anything? Wealth? The pursuit of wealth? A comfortable life? The stuff of this world? Is there anything that you hold so tightly that Jesus would look at you and say, go get rid of that and come follow me? And you would walk away sorrowful. Is there anything like that? And if there is, my, my plea to you is that Jesus is better than anything that you can be holding that tightly. And you might be unconvinced of that, but you don't. You don't need to be. Christ is better than everything that you think brings you joy in this life. It's temptation. It's sin. It's a trap. It's a snare. It's dangerous. You're going to pierce yourself through, and it's going to be foolish in the end because Christ Jesus is good, and He's a treasure. And that's what I'm. Ple- that's what I plead with you to do. Be like Matthew thirteen forty four. Find that treasure which is Christ. And it's so good that with joy, you'll go sell everything else that you might have that treasure. Don't be like the rich young ruler. A lot of the song we sang just a moment ago said, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. Always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure, Thou art. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, Lord, for letting us dig into it together. And God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, if there are any in this room right now, Lord, who don't know you and especially those that would be deceived and falsely they think that they're saved but they're not falsely converted God if there's any, anyone like that in this room God I pray that you would open their eyes Lord and that you would do a powerful work God so that they would not walk away sorrowful like this rich young ruler but God open their eyes to the treasure of Christ to the glory of the gospel Lord And I pray, Lord, that Christ crucified will be everything to them. God, please save any that need to be saved here today. And Lord, for those that are here that are your people, God, I pray that you would build us up with these examples in your word. That you would make us like you, Lord Jesus, and cause us to value the salvation that you've purchased for us. Thank you so much, Lord, for eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to enter the kingdom of heaven. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.